Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 204. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. Hey, I hope you had a good uh, Advent, Christmas, uh, Epiphany, and uh, now as you're starting into 2022, I, I hope and pray that uh, the Lord would bless your personal study and public proclamation of God's Word. And I hope and pray that he uses this little podcast and uh, the Expositors Collective Ministry uh, to do so. Hope you've enjoyed the four um, old classic episodes that we released in December and the beginning of January. Um, And now for the rest of the year, it's all new content every Tuesday. So this is our first mailbag episode. Uh, Myself and fellow steering committee member, Nick Katie, we have this, yeah, just a good conversation that I hope you enjoy listening on. We talk about what to do when you preach a real stinker, when you preach a bad sermon and you know it and everyone else knows it, what do you do next? Uh, We also talk about um, who is like eligible or who should come to our training event, which is taking place uh, in February in Costa Mesa, California. And thirdly, we speak about prayer and ways that prayer can and should be folded into our sermon preparation practice. And I share about a really kind of exciting form of praying with a group through a passage of scripture that I can't wait for you to listen in on. All right, hope you enjoy Mailbag, Part one. All right. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective. Uh, I am so honored to be with Nick. Nick, this is our first ever mailbag episode. How you feel? I'm excited. I can't wait. I love this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I find that even if it's a podcast that I don't listen to every single episode, when they do a mailbag episode, I'm like guaranteed to listen to that one. Yeah, no, I love I love mailbag stuff on YouTube on podcasts. Really good. It's like it's like the the podcast version of a uh, Q and A panel at a conference. Yeah, because it's like, hey, listen, I don't want to hear carefully crafted like arguments. I want to hear your first initial unformed thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just did a Q and A panel at our church for our youth group, and yeah. I could not believe the response. We had all these people, like adults and stuff, sit in on it. Yeah, I, I understand now. Like people love Q and A. They they want to hear somebody speak from the heart sometimes in a way that's a little bit less scripted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a communicator, it feels like, you know, please allow me to have a week to think about this, to say the best thing possible. And and I think there's obviously room for that. <laughs> there's a whole lot of room for that. Mm. But yeah, yeah, just to have that um that instant from the heart uh kind of answer. So we're gonna do some of that. Uh hey, Nick. First question. Okay, this one actually, I'm not going to pretend that somebody wrote this question in. We'll, we'll get to those later on. Here's a question from me to you. Uh, what do you do, Nick, after you preach a really bad sermon? Yeah, I have been a preacher of bad sermons a couple times and uh, uh, probably more times than I wish. Uh, I'll tell you, here's what I would say. And I learned this um, from Tim Keller mostly. He had a really great thing on this. Basically, he said this, you should pray. You should ask God to forgive you, ask him to help you in the future. And then you should move on and not dwell on it. Because the fact is that um, he always says this, 
the problem with um, many of us, and I know this is true of myself um, more in the past than now, because I, I do feel like I've learned, but it is that we're always trying to hit a home run, right? We want to mm. we want to just have something really great that's going to blow people's minds and help them yeah. to understand the Bible in, in a positive sense, right? Um, but but a lot of times what people need is they just need meat and potatoes. They need the Bible. When I'll, t- I'll sometimes come up on Saturday night, I'll review my sermon, and I'll come up and I'll tell my wife. I used to do this a lot, and then she she didn't tolerate it anymore. But I used to mm-hmm. tell her, this is going to be my worst sermon. I need to look into like becoming an electrician or something because mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's going to ever come back after this sermon. And she would just tell me, "Just you need to quit your whining. Um, people need the Bible, not you. So why don't you just make sure you're teaching them the Bible and what you're saying is true and points them to Jesus. And if you did that, then you can rest like uh, oh, well wow. because wow. they don't need to have mic drop moments and have their minds blown. They need just the consistent, faithful teaching of God's word. And if you're doing that, then good. And sometimes it'll be great, but people don't really need great. They're not really coming to have their minds blown. They're coming to hear the word of God and have it ministered to them. And so uh, Keller says, hey, look, teach the Bible, teach it well, which means exegete the passage faithfully. And, And then you can rest, hit a base hit, don't try and hit a home run. And you can rest. So to me, that's what I do. I say, you know, if I need to apologize, I have actually followed up with people before and said, you know what? I'm sorry that that wasn't my best. Um, I'm going to try better next time. But I also think that there's a point where you just have to move on hmm. and, um, and not dwell on it. I don't think anything good comes from that. Wow. Well, yeah, you mentioned that kind of that, that baseball thing. Uh, and, and I know, Nick, that you, you played baseball when you were younger. Mm. Uh, now, for the international audience, maybe, what is a home run and what is a base hit? And um, why, why is a base hit uh, better than attempting for a home run? Or, or is it actually? Sure, Explain yeah. this. Yeah, for I, I'm, I'm representing. I'm representing Europe right now. We don't know what baseball is. Sure. Yeah. No. Good point. Yeah. So a base hit in baseball. So you know you have four bases, and your goal is to go around the four bases and come all the way back to where you started to home base. That's how you score a run or a point. And the way that you get on base is by hitting the ball so that nobody catches it in the air or so that nobody throws you out before you get to the base where you're safe. And so the idea with a base hit is just get onto the bases. Don't try and hit the ball out of the park, which is an automatic point or run in baseball, uh, if you can hit it beyond the fences. And so um, we just use this a lot as a metaphor here in the U.S. to say that – you know, a home run is kind of what everybody thinks. If I just hit it out of there, it's easy. You know, everybody's gra- glad. The crowd cheers. Yeah. Everybody thinks it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, base hit is a lot less glamorous, but it is. Um, it moves the game forward. It's more right. likely that you're going to be able to score if you consistently do that. Okay. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. And so do all the non-Americans uh, listening. Mm. Um, well, yeah, the reason why I asked you about it was because like, I actually preached a really bad sermon like two Sundays ago. And uh, I was actually talking to you about it. And then a few other people about it, like, oh man, that one was really, really bad. And I like was reflecting on, on why, why was it bad? What, what made it, what made it bad? And of course, are we, you know, our, our most honest critics, I, I don't know. But I mean, I, th- I think I do want to have a, an honest assessment. And I, I know that I'm not a great preacher, 
but like, I think, I think I'm a good preacher, you know, is that, a, mm. you know, an okay thing to say? I think that, uh, I think that most of my sermons are like a B or a B plus, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 hopefully that's an okay thing to say and it's not too, too boastful, but, um, yeah, I just, I started the Advent series, um, that we're doing we're recording this in December and my, my first sermon I think I really wanted to hit a home run to use that analogy. I, I preached the whole sermon on Genesis 3.15 about the, the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the snake. And in my mind, it was going to blow everyone's mind because I was going to explain to them something they've never heard before, the proto-evangelion. It was going to be this, people were going to like, their jaws were going to drop, you know? But it just wasn't that good. <laughs> and And I think upon reflection, Upon reflection, it was like, I think I really just tried to impress or I really tried to, uh, yeah, to show basically to, 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 to have a take on the Christmas season that no one had ever heard before. And I mean, I guess it succeeded. No one ever heard of it. And then also (laughs) it succeeded. No one, no one really got it or nobody was even that kind of like blessed by it. Hmm. So I kind of reflected on that. And I think I, I, it could have been an interesting five or six minute sub point of of a bigger sermon, but I tried to expand it into kind of a 30-minute sermon on something that maybe doesn't have that much content. Hmm. So that was something I kind of learned from it. Um, I also, I went home and then I just like took a nap, which is, I don't usually take a nap after, after church, but that one I kind of did because I actually, Nick, I was like so bummed. Hmm. I was so bummed because again, I haven't preached this bad for, for years, maybe like a decade, it feels like. Mm. And so I like went home, took like a, a little sad man nap. And, but I also was really careful that I didn't talk about it too much. I mm-hmm. talked to my wife about it, talked to you and talked to like two or three other preacher friends. But I, I, I've learned over the years that I, what I shouldn't do is I shouldn't go around to like people in the congregation being like, oh, that was so bad. Because oftentimes that just means please assuage me, please make me feel better. So I tried to keep my complaints within a small closed loop of, of people that wouldn't take it as me begging for compliments. Yeah, Mike, I wonder, do you have anybody in your congregation, maybe leaders or, or people that you trust who would, who would just be real honest with you and, and tell you either that your assessment was wrong or that actually, yeah, that was objectively not your best? Do you have anybody I, I, yeah. like that? I mentioned it in passing at our, our at an elders meeting, uh, and uh, each of them said that it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and so, yeah, either they're being kind or, yeah. So no, I mean it didn't it didn't come up. But also, I didn't go around asking for it that week. In my mind, I just knew. I just knew it could have been better. I I made some some mistakes and I felt bad. But then the next Sunday. Uh, as I was like downstairs Sunday morning, my wife came downstairs and I kind of looked at her and I said, I just, I just hope it goes better this Sunday. And she says, don't worry. I was upstairs praying for you for a long time before I came down because I knew how sad you were last week. And I I couldn't handle you being that sad again. (laughs) Oh, well, that's awesome that she's praying for you. I'll tell you this. I've learned this about myself that I am a horrible judge of what is good and what is bad when it comes to sermons, because there have been a lot of times where I'm like, this message is awesome. And then I mm-hmm. preach it and it just kind of falls flat, like, or it doesn't have the impact that I hoped it would. I mean, people are like, okay, cool. But um, <laughs> they're not like, whoa. Um, and then other times, I remember one time specifically, 
I told my wife the night before, this is actually my worst sermon. Like I'm yeah, not, okay. I, I know I say this every week, but this week I mean it. This one's really bad. I actually remember the passage. I was teaching on the end of Acts chapter six. And so I go to church and I just like preach this message. I don't love it. I feel like I'm just wasting everyone's time almost, which I know is not true, but that's the way I felt. And, and then afterwards, this girl comes up and she's like, um, after that message, I just need to, I need to repent and receive the Lord. And she's somebody who was not a Christian and she had been attending church with a friend for a while. And we've been kind of praying for her, but also thinking, man, this girl, you know, she's such a critic, right? Like she's so, she sits there with her arms crossed and like, she's probably just going to stop coming soon. <laughs> and then, uh, after what I consider to be my worst message, she comes up, she received the Lord and she's still in our church to this day. She wow. ended up, I did her wedding, uh, I wow. baptized her and it just was a really important message to me that, um, Hey, stop, stop getting like stuck inside of like, that this is all about you being an eloquent speaker and just get up there and do your job basically. Wow. Well, that is, that is very encouraging. God is so kind, isn't he? And mm. Uh, okay, so we could say a whole lot more on that, but let's move on to our first kind of actual actual question. Uh, this one comes in from somebody um, who is, is yeah, Daniel is his name. Daniel asks, um, how would my small group leaders benefit from the Expositors Collective training weekend that's coming up in February? So he is deciding whether or not he should bring a group of non-preachers to our next preachers training event in February in Costa Mesa. So Nick, what, what do you think about that? What do you think about non-preachers coming to our training event? Yeah, well, you know, with the way we build these events um, is that they're not just for preachers, but they're also for people who teach the Bible <laughs> in any capacity or aspire to do it. And that's what we're teaching them to do, essentially like Paul wrote to Timothy, right? To be able to handle the word, to divide it, rightly. Yeah. And so we, I want everybody in my church to be able to do that. And so particularly small group leaders, I would tell you, in my opinion, the biggest benefit is the, the one of uh, the module we do on Christ-centered preaching. Oh, I think oh that, you mean my session? That's your session. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's excellent. It's so good. And I would want every small group leader, every children's ministry teacher and there's probably other people as well in the church who I would want to go through that because it it gives you a lens for reading the Bible, what we call a hermeneutic that changes. It's like, like as you always say, it's like watching The Sixth Sense and realizing at the end that Bruce Willis has been dead the whole time. Then you're like, oh my gosh, I have to go back and read the whole thing yeah. um, starting over um, because now I see everything in a whole new light because of that information. I think that having that and understanding that framework is going to help your small group leaders immensely as they, you know, no matter how you do small groups, it's going to change the way that they handle the Bible, which is what you want. You want them to do it faithfully and you want them to do it in a way that points people to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And so some of our sessions uh, have to do with uh, homiletics, you know, sermon delivery or even outlining, like crafting the way that you prepare to give a monologue. And a small group leader shouldn't be doing monologues. So mm. I, on the one hand, you could say, well, those things aren't 
necessarily directly applicable to a small group leader. But I think some of that front end stuff, you know, Bible interpretation, uh, inductive Bible study, and then as you mentioned, the the Christ-centered like hermeneutic, I think that is going to be immediately beneficial to anyone who is handling God's word in public, or even for those that just want to responsibly handle it in private. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there's value um, for a small group leader or for a kids ministry worker, um, anyone who is handling the, the Bible and wants to communicate it to people to, to come along in February. Yeah. And we also have parts that we do on like resources, right? What are good study resources? That's going to benefit a small group leader. And, and we have a module on character and finding your voice. These are all things that I think would really benefit um, small group leaders and other people in your church who aren't necessarily preaching. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's just clear this up right now, Nick. This is not a pastor's conference. Um, and I think right. we've been like trying to be very consistent um, for as long as we've been doing these, that it, there's a difference between a pastor's conference and what we do, uh, primarily because it's not only for pastors. And then also it's not a conference. <laughs> it's a training yeah. event. And we want as many preachers or potential preachers or Bible handlers uh, to come and to, to get equipped and get trained. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of the stuff that we do, it's not just sitting and listening to somebody on the stage talk. A big part of what we do, I would say maybe half or more, is done in groups. It's interactive. I don't know, man, for me, these weekends are like, it's like a party. We get together, we open our Bibles, we consider some stuff, take some notes, work through the things. I think it's a great time of fellowship, being in the Word, and learning how to handle the Word rightly. Yeah. It's something that I've heard many people say that they wish that they had years ago. Mm. And so what a great opportunity to bring younger people this year. And, and Nick also too, usually we do have an age cap, but for this coming February, that age cap is gone. Is that right? That's right. So we're just, we're opening up the doors. Anybody who wants to come, we'd love to have you. Yeah. Brit, get your walker, get your cane. <laughs> <laughs> we, we want everyone uh, to come along because, yeah, there's there's room. There's room for more. And we're excited to open it up for all all ages and uh, all kinds we'll, of Bible handlers. We'll have uh, energy drinks for the younger crowd <laughs> and Metamucil for the rest. <laughs> OK. Any, any final thoughts on that before I move on to the, the next question we got sent in? No, I would just say, yeah, like you said, bring anybody from your church who is interested in, I think you always say this in your episodes, Mike, and I love that you say it. You say, for your public proclamation and your private study. That's what right. both of these are about. We want to rightly divide the word of God. We want to do it in community with other people. And I would just encourage people, hey, don't hesitate. Don't wonder, oh, am I you know, fitting this niche? I would say, uh, hey, come learn how to divide the word. It will be a benefit to you at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe a final thing that, that I would say, yeah, to, to bring somebody along, even who is, doesn't fit the quote unquote demographic already. I think that if you are on a church staff or if you are overseeing a team, uh, just to bring somebody along, it, it shows that you care about them and that you're investing in them. And we want to do, you know, for those of us on the steering committee, we, we promise, we promise that we're going to invest in them and they're going to come away like, like, like benefiting from new content. And this is just kind of one of the ways that even team leads or ministry heads or elders or deacons can kind of invest into the people under their care who are caring for others. Absolutely. 
All right, here's here's the next question. Uh, this this one just says quite ab- abruptly and to the point, or succinctly and to the point. This is: Do you think prayer is an undervalued part of sermon prep? Do you think prayer is an undervalued part of sermon prep? Um, yeah, I think that we can't pray enough. And I do think that prayer is an undervalued part of it. Now, Mike, you were telling me recently just about what you do. You have some like dedicated time for prayer through the passage you teach. Maybe you could tell us about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what I've been doing is, you know, we have, as many churches do, we have a, a Wednesday night by uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting. And, uh, it's it's had various leaders over the over the years. Uh, we've had yeah, uh, Dawn French. She was in charge of it for a long time, and she's kind of stepping back. And so it's kind of come back to my oversight. And I was trying to think about like, well, hey, how do I pray personally, and what's the ways that I can like help people in their prayers? And so I've been leading groups on Wednesday nights and just like praying through the scriptures. Uh, usually, I take a psalm. And what we do is we just like read the psalm, you know, two times out loud. And then I ask a series of questions. And I'm kind of standing up there with like a whiteboard um, asking people, hey, what does this psalm teach us about the character of God? What what, What do we learn about God through this passage? And people with their Bibles open are saying, oh, he is strong. Okay. Oh, he, he knows all things. Oh, he sees all things. And I'm just like writing all that down and then kind of compile this list of things that they learned about God through that passage. And then we go to a time of like 10 minutes of, of adoring prayer um, based on those things. And then we go on to the next thing. We read the passage again. And then I say, okay, what does God do? What are his actions as described in this psalm? Like, oh, he he cares, he intervenes, um, he judges, oh, he shows mercy. And then I'm writing all those things down. And then here we are, we, we kind of pray through those things once more. And then the third wing is, what are some requests that we can bring to our God um, from this passage? And then read it out loud one final time. And then uh, people bring, they pull prayer requests out of the passage and then I write them on there. And then at the end I say, and guys, are there any other prayer requests in your life? And so I think it's kind of transformed the prayer meeting where usually the prayer meeting is you come and then you pray for your aunt who has a surgery coming up and you pray for this and you pray for that. But this way we have like the scripture is guiding the content of our prayer. And we have these like, I think deep worshipful scripturally informed times of prayer. And, and I love it. Sorry, this is a very long-winded answer to a very simple question. <laughs> but, mm. but Nick, what I've done sometimes, at first kind of meekly or apologetically, and now with great confidence, I say, you know, uh, guys, I'm preaching on this passage this coming Sunday. I've put some thought into this, but I just want to pray together with this passage with you and just have like a group of like eight or nine people going through the passages coming up that Sunday and praying together with it and through it. And, and I, and I love it so much. It is like this, like collective experience of sitting under God's word, learning about him together, and then hearing the voices of like my brothers and my sisters, um, thank the Lord for a thing that they've seen in the passage or like make a request based on something that they've seen in that passage. And it's just been thrilling to, you know, have my time when I'm alone at my desk with my stack of commentaries, but then 
to have a time when I'm seated in a circle with my brothers and sisters, um, looking into the same passage together. So that's been something that's been useful to me. I don't know if it would work in different capacities, but that's what's kind of working for me these days. I love that. That's really good. You know, it goes beyond, I know earlier on in my preaching life, um, a lot of my prayers regarding my preaching were just, God help me to have something to say or like help me to understand this or give me, guide my, guide my preparation. But I love praying through the passage as a form of preparation. Mm -hmm. We do a bit of that. Um, I have a sermon prep group that meets on Tuesday nights and there's five of us currently in the group. And we read the passage together. Uh, we break it up. Everybody reads a few verses. Then we discuss some things. And then at the end, we spend dedicated time praying. And of course, a lot of the prayer is response to uh, what we have been yeah. talking about in the text. And so um, we're kind of doing it a little bit on the back end, but that's still just the beginning of my sermon prep time. And I would say... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, prayer is an undervalued part of sermon prep. Now, Mike, let me ask you kind of a follow-up question to that. Sure. And that is, um, what do you think are other uh, neglected part or undervalued parts of sermon prep? Hmm. Well, I think, I think um, here's something that I undervalue in my sermon prep. Here's something that I really, I, I do it sometimes and I wish I did it more. And it is... Um, the truth of whatever the passage is or the, the themes of it, what I wish I did more and better is finding like competing visions of that thing or finding like what is the current cultural um, objection to to this truth um, to find like a, let's say even a, a well-known celebrity who completely disagrees with this and to find like a quote or something um, as they're interacting with those ideas and then to bring that into the sermon preparation process or, or the delivery to talk about something and then to say, yeah, but you know, such and such politician or this philosopher or this local hero really contradicts this when they say that. And here's how I would answer that. Uh, again, I, I think I do that once or twice a month, once a month maybe. And it really engages, it really reminds people of the relevance of it and that we're not just in this echo, changer, uh, echo chamber, but like local celebrities have opinions that contradict this. And how can we, in a friendly, ironic way, um, answer that or show how the Bible has a different or better way of thinking than, than that? Hmm. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. yeah. My response was going to be a lot more simple than that, but I think that, <laughs> I think that that's really good. And that challenges me. I want to do that. And, and here's how I do it. Here's, here's how I like a, a shortcut to that is I just go like to a local paper, you know, and, um, and again, I, I live in Ireland. And so we have like, you know, the Irish times or the Irish examiner. These are the, the papers and a lot of them have a search feature and you just go to the local paper and you type the theme or the idea into the search. And then you'll find uh-huh. an opinion piece. You'll find a, a newspaper article. You'll find quotes from politicians on what you're talking about. So again, it's usually the last thing that I do if I ever do, but I maybe should bump it forward one or two steps. So there's ways to do it that are, that are helpful and that are quick. Oh yeah, that's good. Cause I guess I just pictured you just like reading the Cork newspaper for hours and hoping yeah, to get yeah. lucky. No, no, 
no. Man, I've I've stayed with uh, uh, Mike Doyle, who lives in who lives in New York City, and he's just got stacks of like the New York Times, and he was saying how he consistently tries to read the New York Times every day as a way to connect with with the city, and uh, I would just say, dude, there's a there's Google, <laughs> there's there's a there's a search feature, but anyway, he's a he's a, a great pastor, a great man. So that here's another way of doing that, which is actually what I was going to suggest, I think is a neglected part or undervalued part of sermon prep is actually just talking to people. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's not necessarily to the benefit of a preacher to spend too much time with their head uh, in a newspaper or with their head in um, in front of their computer screen. I think that one of my favorite parts of, of sermon prep that I think is undervalued is like on Thursdays recently... I've been going, you know, it's ski season here in Colorado. So we, um, so I go with some guys from church and as I'm hanging out with them, I will just talk through the passage and, you know, and, and many of the same things you're saying, like, okay, what did the politicians say about this? I'll just kind of ask them, you know, what do you hear about this? What do you think Mm. about this? Mm. And, you know, you get a lot of anecdotal responses, but sometimes there's some really helpful stuff in there, um, that, that I think has really aided my sermon prep because you also know that you're, you're actually responding to people's real visceral responses and interactions with the topic or the text you're dealing with. Yeah. 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 People are like walking newspapers, aren't they? (laughs) And a conversation is like a search feature on a human, right? (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, thanks. So yeah, I mean, I, I think this is no surprise when we were asked if we think prayer is undervalued part of sermon prep. I mean, the answer is obviously yes. Um, But uh, but yeah, thanks for asking that follow-up question about what are maybe some other undervalued parts of sermon prep. Okay. Well, you know what, guys? We're just going to cut it off right there. Uh, Nick and I continued talking and recording for about another half hour, and we talk about some other issues as well. But we're going to divide that in half as a later episode uh, to release in about a month or so. Uh, But make sure that you are subscribed uh, because next Tuesday we have um, such a great episode coming out with Dr. David Allen. Uh, He has been teaching at a seminary level about homiletics, uh, about sermon construction uh, for about 30 years. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. David Allen, and I'm going to leave you with a little teaser for what you can expect next Tuesday if you hit subscribe. Um, If you're watching this on YouTube, if you are listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever, if you could, if you're feeling generous, if you could leave a thumbs up or get the word out somehow, I'd really appreciate it. I believe that equipping and training and helping Bible teachers to improve in their Bible teaching ministry is something that everybody benefits from. So if you could let people know, get the word out somehow about this podcast and our training events, I would really appreciate it. Okay. Here's a teaser from next week's episode with Dr. David Allen. Well, I've been teaching preaching now for about 35 years, and I think, as far as I know, I'm the one who coined the term text-driven preaching. The reason I chose that term uh, many years ago uh, in my classes is I teach expository preaching. I believe that the expositional method is the best method of preaching, but I have noticed 
that over the years that term expository preaching has been stretched into infinity and people put under that category of expository preaching <laughs> uh, so many things that really don't reflect or don't fall uh, adequately or properly under that category. And so I chose the term uh, text-driven preaching to explain what I mean by expository preaching. And basically, text-driven preaching is preaching that attempts to stay true to three things— Number one, the substance of the text. Number two, the structure of the text. And number three, the spirit of the text. And what we mean by that, those words, number one, the substance of the text is what is that text saying? What is it talking about? What's its theme? What is it talking about? And then number two, what is it saying about what it's talking about? And really, every text does that. Or, or every text, there's, it has substance to it. And good expository preaching is preaching that stays true to that text. You don't go off into 10 different texts in a sermon. You don't do proof text preaching, which is very popular. A lot of people do that. That's not, not the best kind of expository preaching. You've got to stay true to that substance of the text uh, and uh, stay with your wingman, so to speak, there. And then number two, the structure of the text, God the Holy Spirit, in His inspiration of those human writers— has designed or has communicated meaning via structure. And that structure is uh, not only uh, what we call syntax and grammar, that is true, but there's a meaning structure communicated underneath that called semantics. And semantics is just the word for meaning. And so there is a meaning. There are communication relations that are being communicated. And one of the key, key significant principles is an author communicates meaning in mainline important information and secondary subordinate information, which is com communicated in subordinate clauses. So good preaching will want to let the structure of the text, mainline information and subordinate information, understand that very carefully in the exegetical process and then reproduce that in the preaching, in the sermon outline, and in the actual content of the message. So true expository preaching is preaching the Bible. Topical preaching is preaching about the Bible. Expository preaching is preaching the Bible. So we're staying true to the structure of the text. And then number three, we're staying true to the spirit of the text. Now by the word spirit there, I mean spirit with a lowercase s, we're not talking about the Holy Spirit, though that is so crucial in preaching the role of the Spirit. But what we mean is the tone and the uh, genre of the text. And therefore, good expository preaching needs to reflect that. And if you go back and listen in history to some expository sermons of even famous preachers, uh, they preach a, a narrative the same way they preach a letter, which is the same way they preach Psalm 23, uh, and it's three points, and it's just it doesn't reflect really the structure of the text, and it certainly doesn't reflect the genre if they're preaching a narrative like Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, and they chop that up into three points. Uh, no, it's a narrative, and it has seven scenes that unfold with with uh, rising tension, and that needs to be reflected. The genre, the spirit, uh, the tone of the text, uh, the various psalms are different uh, 
genres. I mean, it's one genre, but there are different subgenres there. You have Hallel Psalms, you have the Praise Psalms, then you have the Lament Psalms. Those are just the opposite in terms of how you must communicate them. And so basically, text-driven preaching is preaching that attempts to stay true to the substance, structure, and spirit of the text. And really, from my perspective, that's what genuine expository preaching was intended to be. So text-driven preaching is not reinventing the wheel. Actually, we are simply saying, look, here's what real exposition is supposed to be. We're just refining it a little bit and bringing it back to its roots. <laughs> 